happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. President Biden giving a Labor Day speech in Philadelphia. He touted his record on jobs and benefits and compared it to former President Trump. The top priority on Capitol Hill? Avoiding a government shutdown. The two chambers have just weeks to resolve major disagreements on spending. Masks to stop the spread of COVID-19. They're making a comeback in some places around the U.S. We bring you what Dr. Anthony Fauci says about their effectiveness. A Florida judge strikes down a congressional map as unconstitutional, saying it dilutes minority voting power. And New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu said he expects former President Trump to be on his state's ballot. That's after calls to challenge his eligibility using the 14th Amendment. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, President Biden is in Philadelphia to mark Labor Day. He's there to influence the battleground state for his 2024 hopes. Here's the president at the annual Tri-State Labor Day Parade. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello, Philadelphia, and thank you, Brittany, for that introduction. The last guy was here, you were shipping jobs to China. Now we're bringing jobs home from China. When the last guy was here, when the last guy was here, your pensions were at risk. We helped save millions of pensions with your help. When the last guy was here, he looked at the world from Park Avenue. I look at it from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I look at it from Claymont, Delaware. Biden describes himself as a pro-union president. In recent months, the White House has sought to sell his economic policies under the moniker Bidenomics. However, Republicans say Democrat policies helped spark higher prices under Biden's watch. In the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel opinion piece published ahead of Labor Day, Biden highlighted his administration's proposal to extend overtime pay to some 3.6 million Americans and praised unions for being good for the economy. Pennsylvania and a handful of other battleground states are key in presidential elections. Is a government shutdown looming? Lawmakers are now in a race against time to avoid that happening by the end of the month. The Democrat-controlled Senate returns this week after its August recess, and the Republican-controlled House reconvenes next week. The two chambers have just a few weeks to resolve major differences over funding the government. The House Freedom Caucus is hoping to use their leverage to reject a short-term spending bill. In particular, they want to cut out COVID-era spending and what they consider woke spending in the military, and add in funds for border security and to investigate what they call weaponization of the DOJ. But Democrats in the Senate are unlikely to agree to the Republican priorities. In the two, if the two sides can't compromise, government-run services won't be authorized to spend funds and would have to halt operations. During an interview with CBS yesterday, U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said the possibility of a shutdown is worrying business leaders. Yes, they are worried. They are very worried. They are, I think, in some cases frustrated that this is how government operates. Uh, you know, what businesses need to be successful is, is predictability. Raimondo said a government shutdown would pose a challenge for the economy. But he also believed that despite inflation, the nation's economic performance is better than predicted three years ago. 
Amid a slight uptick in COVID-19 hospitalizations, more and more places around the U.S. are bringing back masks. Dr. Anthony Fauci says he's worried people won't comply with recommendations. Here's a COVID update. Regions around the U.S. are advocating for the use of masks to stop the spread of COVID-19. That's amid a small rise in hospitalizations and a new variant called BA-286. CDC data shows that hospitalizations are on the rise. However, they're still much lower than they were in February of this year. New York City officials are now asking residents to mask up during Labor Day weekend. Morris Brown College in Atlanta imposed a two-week-long limitation on gatherings. Lionsgate Studios in Hollywood brought back mask mandates for some office spaces, and some hospitals are bringing back mask mandates. Former White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci told CNN he can't say how many more hospitalizations we'll see because of the new variant. He also says he's worried about people's response to masking recommendations. As you know, this is a very unpredictable virus. has shown us that over the last three and a half years. I am concerned that people will not abide by recommendations. Fauci was then asked about a review published in late January at the Cochrane Library. It said there was no evidence to prove masks reduce the spread of COVID. Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level for individual. When you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. He said on an individual level, masks can still help protect someone. As of right now, there are no federal mask mandates or recommendations in place. However, Fauci says he hopes that if recommendations do come back, that people will abide by them. Meanwhile, Dr. Deborah Burks, former White House COVID-19 response coordinator, talked about mandates in an interview with Newsmax. Four years in, we don't need to mandate. We need to actually empower people with the information that they need to, for themselves and their families, because every family's different. While advising against mandates, Dr. Burks did praise COVID vaccines based on mRNA technology, which she says can help protect people. A Florida judge has struck down congressional district lines approved by Governor Ron DeSantis. He ruled the map was unconstitutional because it watered down minority voting power in the region. The map will be returned to the legislature for a redrawing. The Fair Districts Amendment says lawmakers cannot redraw district maps which diminish minority voters' ability to elect. In this case, the redrawing affected a seat that was formerly held by Representative Al Lawson, a black Democrat. Lawson lost the district in the 2022 midterm election following the redistricting process. Plaintiffs include Black Voters Matter, Equal Ground, Florida Rising, and the League of Women Voters of Florida. They filed the case in April 2022 after DeSantis signed the new congressional maps into law. The DeSantis administration is now expected to appeal the ruling all the way to the Florida Supreme Court. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu says he expects to see Trump's name on his state's ballot. That's despite those who want to challenge the former president's eligibility. I see no reason why he wouldn't be on that ballot. I suppose if someone wants to try to litigate it, it's not really a New Hampshire issue. They're litigating it against the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and therefore would be applicable to all 50 states. So, no, I fully expect the, the former president to be on our ballot. Some Trump opponents, both conservative and liberal, have mentioned using a provision of the 14th Amendment to prevent Trump from running. 
A Trump campaign spokesperson has said this would be, quote, blatant election interference. Section 3 of the amendment disqualifies anyone who has supported or engaged in insurrection or rebellion while in office. President Trump's campaign has already emailed supporters for finding support, funding support for any potential 14th Amendment cases, but Trump faces no insurrection or rebellion charges in any of his indictments, and no January 6th defendant has been charged with insurrection either. The GOP primaries continue to heat up. Ron DeSantis' campaign has made yet another major shakeup, while Trump jumps to almost 60% in the polls. Let's hear from a political commentator and director of the Presidential Roller Coaster 2024 for his take on the latest election and political news. Roger Simon, thank you for joining us. Pleased to be here again. Roger, Ron DeSantis's Never Back Down pack is shifting resources from Nevada, uh, California, Texas, and North Carolina to Iowa, South Carolina, and New Hampshire. What's the significance of this move? Uh, fear. <laughs> you know, the, the, there was a, when I was a kid, there was a, a wonderful article in the Village Voice about politicians called running scared. And I think that's what yeah, that's what they generally are. I mean, the significance is he's worried about uh, getting through in the early states. And if he doesn't, it is sayonara for him. I mean, he's way back in the polls, as is everybody else. A Wall Street Journal poll shows that Donald Trump is in the lead by 59 percent and that half of primary voters view his recent indictments as a reason to vote for him. Uh, Trump's Georgia case is set to start this Wednesday and the judge has said it will be televised. Will this televised case help him in the polls? Might in a minor way, but he's already doing so well in the polls. That is, there's not that much more top, I think. Uh, if, it, if it does, it'll, it'll be rather extraordinary. But, yeah, I don't think it's going to hurt him because the whole thing seems so fake that, um, you know, putting it on television is not going to hurt him. It could well help him, I'll say that, but not, not by too much because how much higher can he go? Now, Epic Times reporter Jeff Lauterbach has been following RFK Jr.'s campaign, and he says that he's attracting former Trump supporters. What explains this? Well, I interviewed RFK, you know, for our rolling roller coaster interviews, and uh, his ideas and Trump's coincide in certain areas, uh, healthcare, CIA, and so forth. And I think that's where it, it, I can understand it. And also, he's a pretty straight shooter, RFK. So I, I think that the Epic Times reporter is on the nose there, and there's a little bit of that going on. How much I don't. I don't know. And how, you know, the problem is that there's so much opposition to RFK within the establishment of the Democratic Party that he doesn't seem to be getting enough traction. I'm surprised. I thought he'd be getting more. Switching gears, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell froze for 30 seconds recently. This is the second time since July. And it sparked a conversation around age in Congress. Should the focus of this conversation be on age or cognitive ability? 
Well, you know, uh, you know, I'm of a certain age, and I think these things have a way of coinciding a bit. On the other hand, there were famous cases in history, like Sophocles wrote *Oedipus a Colonist* at 90, which is a better play than anybody has written in the last 50 years. So, you know, it's not, it's, it, 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 it's hard to tell. I mean, obviously, in McConnell's case, he's got issues. He's 81. He's entitled to have them, and I think it's time for him to absent himself. Roger Simon, director of the Presidential Roller Coaster 2024. Thank you. Thank you. Turning to the Georgia election case against Trump and 18 others, a transcript recently came to light from the alternate electors. It shows that they sought to emulate something that happened in 1960 in Hawaii. Then Vice President Richard Nixon was running against John F. Kennedy at the time. He challenged the state's results and a recount then put him ahead of Kennedy. Eventually, both a Democrat and Republican slate of electors submitted votes to Congress. For the 2020 election, the Georgia group hoped to do the same. The former Georgia Republican Party chair called the meeting to follow proper legal procedure. They cast votes the same day as Democrat electors. The alternate electors now face charges that include impersonating public officers. The charges argue that they were not legitimate electors. Four criminal indictments and a viral mugshot haven't stopped former President Trump from rising in recent polls. A survey from the Wall Street Journal last week found close to 60% of Republican voters would pick Trump in a primary election. Trump picked up 11 points since a similar poll by Wall Street Journal in April. The GOP frontrunner almost doubled his lead over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, establishing a 46-point difference. DeSantis dropped from 35% to 13%. Among GOP voters, over 60% felt the multiple indictments against Trump were politically motivated and without merit. Nearly 80% said Trump's efforts to dispute 2020 election results were legitimate. In a hypothetical rematch between Trump and President Biden, the two rivals came in neck and neck at 46%. 8% were undecided. Coming up, a new law in Texas requires drunk drivers to pay child support if they are convicted of killing a parent or guardian. And is a code of ethics necessary for the Supreme Court justices? According to a recent poll, 90% of Americans say yes. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. The Texas Senate is set to begin the impeachment trial of Attorney General Ken Paxton. The Republican could be permanently removed from office at the hands of GOP senators tomorrow. Paxton is only the third sitting official in Texas history to be impeached. He's been reelected twice, once in 2018 and last year in November, despite allegations of corruption. The Republican-controlled Texas House of Representatives overwhelmingly voted to impeach Paxton in May. That's over allegations of abuse of power and bribery. Eight top deputies in Paxton's agency reported him to the FBI in 2020 for allegedly using his office to help one of his donors. Paxton denies any wrongdoing and has decried the impeachment as a politically motivated sham. 
He says he expects to be acquitted. A new law in Texas requires drunk drivers to pay child support if convicted of killing a parent or guardian. The law says anyone convicted of intoxication manslaughter will pay restitution. The offender must pay until the child is 18 or until they graduate from high school, whichever comes later. If someone can't make restitution because they're in jail, they must start paying within one year of their release. Americans want an ethics code for the U.S. Supreme Court. That's according to a recent US, U, UMass Amherst poll. About 90% of Americans said it should, and only about 10% said the Supreme Court should not. And in a poll by Marquette University Law School, 55% of Republicans say the justices have honesty and ethical standards compared to 16% of Democrats. The issue came into the spotlight when Justice Clarence Thomas was accused of not reporting certain gifts. The court since changed its rules on what to report, and with his annual report last week, Thomas officially disclosed trips paid for by a friend and GOP donor. The incident brought to light a key fact. Unlike other federal courts and the executive and legislative branches, the Supreme Court does not have a formal code of ethics. Next, we have two commodity recalls. ConAgra Brands is recalling more than 240,000 pounds of frozen chicken strips because they, contain, they could contain pieces of plastic. The affected cartons say banquet chicken strips meal on them. They have best if used by dates of December 11th, 2024, January 1st, 2025, or January 7th, 2025. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food and Safety Inspection Services says there has been at least one reported injury. Anyone with the recalled product is urged to throw them away or return them to the store. And 83,000 Tommy brand high chairs pose a fall hazard, according to the Consumer Product Safety Commission. They were sold in the U.S. and Canada. According to the recall, the bolts used to secure the seat to the base can become loose and allow the seat to detach. There have been at least 24 reports of falls. 11 of them resulted in injuries. Tommy says anyone who wants to keep using the high chair can order a repair kit from them. A huge spill leaving thousands of gallons of oil in the state just hit by Hurricane Adalia. Crews in Florida are now working on cleanup. Workers have removed about 3,000 gallons of an oil-water mixture from the spill at Port Manatee. To contain the spill, teams are now using about 1,400 feet of snake-like buoys called boom. It's unclear what caused Friday's spill, but Coast Guard officials say they are investigating. A new U.S. Navy destroyer ship shows off its uniquely designed battle flag. The ship unveiled the flag when it docked in Pearl Harbor last month. The flag features a kraken sea monster splitting a pirate ship in two while a phoenix rises. The creator of the flag is damage controlman third class Hector Mendoza. He says he was inspired by seeing where other designs lacked. He explained that between all of the battle flag ideas submitted by other sailors, he felt as if none of them really caught the attention that he knew a battle flag could catch. The ship that flies the flag is the USS Carl M. Levin. It was named after a late U.S. senator who specialized in military affairs. 
A spokesperson for the ship told Military.com that the Phoenix rises out of the destruction, symbolizing how the crew will persevere through any hardships or challenges. The ship went into service in June in Baltimore. When we come back, pressure mounts on China's semiconductor industry. The U.S. Commerce Secretary making a strong statement over her department's high-tech export controls. And a 10-year-old had a tough question for presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy about Taiwan. We'll have his response when we return. Thanks for staying with us. Is the U.S. choking China's military? U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo says that's the goal of her department's controls on advanced semiconductor exports. Her comments came after her recent visit to China. A senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy is none too impressed with her actions, however. I spoke with Grant Newsham for his take on her statements and the moves she's making to back them up. Grant Newsham, thank you for joining us. We're glad to be here. Grant, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said the U.S. is trying to choke China's military capacity by limiting exports of the most advanced semiconductor chips there. What do you make of this strategy? Uh, not much. Uh, if it was that easy, I would, would be very happy. Uh, this is going to have some incremental effect. It'll make life more difficult for the Chinese. Uh, and as a general rule, whenever they don't like something, whenever they complain about it, you're probably doing something right. Uh, but American export controls on China have never been anywhere near tough enough, ever. And this latest thing isn't going to do the job. And as a result of Romano's visit, the U.S. and China have agreed to increase dialogue and transparency to resolve issues surrounding trade. Is this a simple, is this simple solution enough to... Yeah, resolve some of the complicated issues we have right now? Uh, no, it's not. We've been talking for decades. Uh, China knows exactly what they need to do. They just refuse to do it, and we don't require them to do it. And now back to what I just said about our export controls. Within Gina Raimondo's own agency, Department of Commerce, there's something called Bureau of Industry and Security. They've been responsible for export controls forever. Uh, they've got some serious problems. Uh, China has basically very little trouble getting the kind of dual-use uh, technology it needs to build up its military. Uh, this is a well-known problem. Congress is aware of it. Uh, this is where they really are to start doing something. But look within Congress itself. Uh, that spy balloon that came over America had a huge amount of um, American technology. Uh, you'll notice at the end of her visit, they were set up in front of a, a Boeing air, uh, aircraft in a, at a Boeing factory in China. Well, those aircraft work very well as military transports for the PLA. Uh, no question about that. China's latest commercial airliner, its first one it's trying to sell globally, uh, they admit 40% of the technology comes from the West, a lot of that from America. The real number is much higher. So China has really had no trouble getting the technology it needs to build up a military uh, that can kill us. So when I hear someone say that, well, we're going to choke off or uh, this is going to be a game changer because we're going to put some controls on uh, certain technologies, well, it's just not. 
So, you know, so you can see I'm not very impressed with what's going on. Sure. Now, what do you think about this statement that she made? She basically said, um, by the end of the decade, the U.S. will have a, quote, large, deep, best-in-the-world semiconductor ecosystem. Well, if she can pull it off, good for her. You know, if she's willing, say, to bet her pension, uh, maybe her next couple years of pay that this is going to happen, then I'll be impressed. I, I used to work for Motorola way back when it was one of the leading semiconductor companies, and it made most of its uh, semiconductor in America. This was 30 years ago. Now, there's no reason this couldn't happen again. That's important to remember. So if she can pull it off, uh, she deserves uh, some real credit for that. And it, this ought to be our objective, and we ought to make sure that it happens. All right, Grant Newsham, Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy. Thank you very much. Well, glad to be here. Thank you. At a campaign event in Hampton, New Hampshire, GOP presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy took a question from a 10-year-old. She asked about Taiwan and China. Let's hear the response from the 2024 candidates. I have a question, sir. I'm excited for it. Hi. Um, when you're president, what are you going to do about, like, what are you going to do when China attacks Taiwan? Oh, that's a tough, that's like the toughest question all day. Came from, what's your, what's your, what's your name? Grace. Grace, and how old are you? Ten. Let's give Grace a round of applause. I love that. I respect that. So my top job is, I've got a few elements of my foreign policy, and it relates to the direct answer to your question. Declare economic independence from China, including Taiwan. Make sure that we don't start World War III and actually advance American interests. I'm saying that we reject the one China policy and strategic ambiguity. We will defend Taiwan. And then after we achieve semiconductor independence, we resume strategic ambiguity, our current position. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. After the break, Ukrainians praise and criticize the country's outgoing defense minister amid allegations of corruption. President Zelensky announces his replacement. And South Africa denies shipping arms to Russia, saying an investigation turned up no evidence. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. President Biden is in Philadelphia marking Labor Day. He touted his economic policies, saying that he brings jobs back from China as compared to former President Trump. Congress is working to avoid a government shutdown by the end of the month. Lawmakers are hoping to hammer out a spending bill. The main differences revolve around COVID-era spending and funds for border security. Dr. Anthony Fauci says he hopes people will comply with mask recommendations, while a former White House COVID-19 response coordinator says what people need is access to information. A major shakeup in Ukraine, the defense minister submitted a letter of resignation to parliament today after the president said he's replacing him. 
NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest on how Kyiv residents feel about the decision. Alexei Reznikov is stepping down as Ukraine's defense minister. President Vladimir Zelensky announced he decided to replace him on Sunday. He said the military needs new approaches and nominated Rustem Umarov to take over. It looks as if everything was fine. I liked the way he behaved and what he did. There were some scandals and the resignation is probably connected to them, but there was no evidence. I don't know exactly. I like the new candidate for the defense minister position, Umerov. It is cool. Ukrainian soldier Ihor says Reznikov has to take responsibility for his actions. I believe he must be held accountable for what he has done while holding the position of defense minister, for prices, for food supplies, for the army, for the uniforms. I believe he must be held accountable for at least this. In his resignation letter, Reznikov provided an overview of his 22 months on the job. He praised Ukraine's fierce wartime resistance against Russian forces. Kyiv resident Alexander Lubovkin said he should get the benefit of the doubt. It is difficult to make any assessments because we don't know how many things and is it all right, though I think what he has done was for the benefit of Ukraine. I think he was a good defense minister and he perfectly performed his duties. He was also lauded for his ministry's lobbying efforts to secure vital military aid from the West. But some say it was the right decision to replace him. I believe it is a timely resignation. There were many media reports saying that his ministry was involved in corruption in the area of procurement. I did not hear from him any reasonable explanations when he talked on TV or online. Reznikov's ministry has faced wartime scandals over the procurement of food and clothing. He's also faced criticism from some military aid NGOs for being too slow to cut bureaucratic red tape. Reznikov denies the allegations. Children in Ukraine are heading back to school, some in person for the first time in years. Let's take a look at how families are dealing with education as the war continues. Alexei Dolovan is eight years old, and he and his mother Maria can't decide which of them is more excited because it's his first day of third grade. It'll be his first time in a physical, actual school, not remotely through the internet and in his own language, Ukrainian, since the start of Russia's full-scale invasion of the country. Since my child will go to school in person, I'll finally have an opportunity to find a job and do what I love so much and have been missing so much. Education's been ravaged in Ukraine by the war and before that, the pandemic. Friday, September 1st is the start of the new school year there. It's also the first time in years that many children are going back in person. Schools themselves have changed. The Dolaban family's school in Kyiv is now equipped with a proper bomb shelter. The Ukrainian government says 84% of Ukrainian schools now have them. In the city of Kharkiv, this school has actually been built into what used to be a Soviet-era subway station to protect against the bombs. It only takes about a minute for a missile launched from Russia to reach the city. Maria Dolaban says it's been especially hard for her son. 
They fled as refugees to Greece earlier in the war, but he struggled in school there because he couldn't understand the language. His father has also been away. He's a doctor on the front line. We decided to move to Kyiv as we want to build our life here. My parents live nearby. They'll help. Being a single parent while my husband is at the front line can be difficult. Alexei's father, Stanislav, is asking if his son is afraid of the first day of school. He says there's nothing to be worried about. New people, new school. The United Nations Children's Fund estimates that Russian air attacks have destroyed 1,300 schools during the invasion. An independent inquiry found no evidence that South Africa supplied weapons to Russia. Here's President Cyril Ramaphosa on Sunday. From its investigation, the panel found no evidence that any cargo of weapons was loaded for export onto the ship Lady R. The panel found that there was no evidence to support the claim that the ship transported weapons from South Africa destined for Russia. And none of the persons who made these allegations could provide any evidence to support the claims that had been leveled against our country. In claims that sparked diplomatic friction, the U.S. ambassador to South Africa, Ruben Brigadi, said in May that the Russian cargo ship Lady R had picked up weapons at a naval base near Cape Town in December. An allegation South Africa's foreign minister said Brigadi had apologized unreservedly for the next day when he was summoned. However, with doubts cast over South Africa's claim of non-alignment regarding Russia's war in Ukraine and concern of possible Western sanctions, Ramaphosa ordered a judicial probe led by a retired judge. It found instead that the Russian cargo ship had a consignment of weapons from Russia to South Africa, ordered back in 2018. A goat breeder is among many Greeks counting the cost of rampant wildfires this summer. Fires burned down his stables, killing most of his livestock. We are finished, says goat breeder Cleanthis Raptis. He lost most of his livestock at the weekend, when a deadly wildfire that's burned for more than two weeks claimed his stable, close to the village of Provatonis in northeastern Greece. They called me on the phone. They said, it's burning. I came here. Almost half of them were burned. Five days ago, the same thing happened, but we made it in time. We saved them. Yesterday, it was total destruction. Aircraft and hundreds of firefighters have battled the wildfire. It was the deadliest in Europe this summer, killing at least 20 people and scorching lush forests, including a protected national park. Last year, when another fire in Evros burnt half his stable, Raptus managed to save all his livestock. But this time, he was too late. His only hope, he says, would be financial help from the Greek authorities. The wildfire was largely contained on Sunday, though more people were evacuated overnight, the fire brigade said. Summer wildfires are common in the Mediterranean nation, but the government has said that extremely dry, windy and hot conditions have made them worse this year. Coming up, artificial intelligence could be used in breast cancer screenings. A trial shows it could help cut down the workload for radiologists. And a choir group in Australia brings a community together through song. The group gives members a sense of belonging and even saves lives. More in a moment here on NTD News.
Thanks for staying with us. Artificial intelligence could be used in breast cancer screenings. A Swedish research team says the technology could improve diagnosis and cut down on radiologists' workloads. We have more on the medical breakthrough. Lund University says about one million Swedish women undergo mammogram screenings every year. Typically, two radiologists review the x-ray images to ensure any possible cancers are spotted. On average, one radiologist can read about 50 screenings per hour, but new technology could help cut down the workload. Well, this study is exciting in that sense that uh, AI has shown uh, great potential. People are very excited about this. How should we use it? What can we use it for? What will be the, the effect when we use this in healthcare? The interim results of the study were published in Lancet Oncology earlier this month. Researchers used AI software to identify screenings with a high risk of breast cancer. Two radiologists checked these results, but only one doctor reviewed low-risk screenings. In the low- and middle-income countries, there's a, a huge lack of, uh, of doctors. So these algorithms trained on large data can, of course, make a really big difference in, in this area where there, there are no experts. Neighboring Denmark has been using AI for mammograms since November 2021. Danish doctors were so impressed, they allowed AI to become the first reader of their entire low-risk group. I think it is exciting because we are lacking physicians all over, and especially breast radiologists we are lacking, and now we have a valuable tool to reduce the workload. Swedish researchers' next step is to investigate what cancer types were detected with and without AI support. Anxiety is a common experience for millions of Americans, but research-backed herbal remedies can help. Here's NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Anxiety disorders are the most common form of mental disorder. It affects about 30% of adults according to the American Psychiatric Association. Anxious or intrusive thoughts might keep us awake at night. They might interfere with our productivity or the enjoyment of tasks. Or they might drive us to avoid situations out of worry. Anxiety disorders are further characterized as specific phobias. Social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, agoraphobia, generalized anxiety disorder, and separation anxiety disorder. Plant-based medicines may help with symptoms of anxiety. Certain herbs and spices have anti-anxiety and calming effects on the mind and body. Here are the top three, starting with lavender. Lavender has been used in traditional remedies for centuries. Growing evidence supports the therapeutic and curative attributes of lavender. It offers sedative, mood-stabilizing, and neuroprotective effects. Many whole food markets and health food stores sell lavender essential oils, whole flowers, foliage, or tea. Lavender can aid in anxiety relief, lower heart rate, improve mood, improve sleep quality, regulate breathing, and lower levels of adrenaline. You may want to diffuse lavender essential oil, have lavender essential oil baths, or use lavender massage products. Capsules of lavender oil and tinctures of concentrated lavender extracts are convenient. Next, let's look at chamomile. Chamomile has been used for thousands of years in folk and traditional medicine. Chamomile's impeccable pharmacologic properties are anti-inflammatory, anti 
antiseptic, digestive, soothing, healing, and sedative. Chamomile is widely used as a herbal medicine for anxiety. It's relatively free from side effects, easy to obtain, and considered healthful. The flowers are primarily used as tea or distilled to chamomile essential oil for diffusing. You can try a cup of chamomile tea an hour or two before bed. The calming effects may be felt quite quickly. And finally, let's look at ashwagandha. Ashwagandha has a long history of traditional use based on Indian principles of natural healing known as Ayurveda. Ashwagandha is an adaptogen. The Cleveland Clinic describes adaptogens as plants and mushrooms that help your body respond to stress, anxiety, and fatigue. They can be added to food and beverages or made into tinctures. Adaptogens bring the body into a steady balance by managing both mental and physical stress. Ashwagandha is available in tinctures, capsules, powders, whole roots, and extracts. It can be found at whole food and health food stores. While anxiety is normal, if it begins to harm our daily lives, there are a multitude of natural treatments available. The choir is saving lives. It's in one of the fastest growing cities in Australia, and it's curing loneliness by bringing people together through song. NTD's Andrew Thomas tells me he can't sing, but he does have more on this story. At first, all is quiet at this choir practice in Geelong, Australia. But soon enough, cheerful singing brings the church to life. Choir member Jessica Walker has Asperger's and says the group allows her to be herself. I'm being me. I'm, I'm free to be me. Whereas outside in society, I feel like the pressure of having to be like everybody else. But I'm not like everybody else, which I'm proud of. Anastasia Warden joined the choir when she was just nine years old. The group has given her a sense of belonging. I grew up not really knowing what a family was, but when I'd come here at choir, I had my own kind of grandmother and I had my own kind of auntie and uncle, and it was just a really amazing feeling. Over the last decade, this choir has had a positive influence on many of its members. The group has even saved lives. Some have told me that uh, this is the, the one thing they can come out of their house for and often one, the one thing that stopped them from actually uh, ending their life because they didn't have a sense of community, but here they feel part of a family, able to contribute a sense of ownership. That's true harmony. We end with some fun stories from the weekend. First is a long-lost shipwreck from the late 19th century discovered in Lake Michigan. According to the Wisconsin Historical Society, two shipwreck hunters spotted the wreckage earlier this year. It was found off the coast of Algoma in 270 feet of water. The ship was built in 1887 and was constructed to pass through the Welland Canal that connected Lake Erie and Ontario. It sank in May 1881 as it was traveling down the coast of Wisconsin toward Milwaukee, but the crew survived. And a grand spectacle in Turkey, a meteor lit up the night sky with green colors. Videos from a playground and a dash cam captured the meteor cruising for a few moments behind nearby clouds, brightening the sky and dazzling onlookers. Greece is limiting the number of daily visitors to the Acropolis. Officials say they are trying to keep the number of visitors to 20,000 per day. That's to ensure the safety and longevity of the monument. Starting today, visitors must pick a time slot and book their tickets online. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.